Today we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The sermon series is Sit, Walk, Stand. And there's a big do. We're, there's, a, there's a whole lot of purpose. There's a whole lot of stuff that we need to walk out. But if we walk it out outside of our being connected and our seated in heavenly realms, our, this, this place of rest, this place of identity, the place of, of being in Him, if we, if we try to get ahead of the cart before the horse, like, like the, there, there's no eternal value in that. Eternal value comes from being connected to the source. And, um, and so we're in a series called Sit, Walk, Stand in the book of Ephesians. And I originally thought it was going to be like three messages. And I think it's going to be like 18 because I'm like, I'm in chapter two and this is the fifth one. So <laughs> it's all right. You guys okay with that? It's good to just kind of go through a book and, and uh, kind of dissect a book of the Bible. And, uh, and so I love the book of Ephesians. And I'm glad it's just six chapters, by the way, because I'm, I'm just thinking of like, what if we did that, you know, with, I don't know, Isaiah or something. I mean, we'd be here like for two years uh, in that. Anyways, I, I, was, I was thinking about that. Hey, so um, here's the series thought for the sit, walk, stand. This is what I want you to get out of it. Maybe you're a guest with us. Maybe you haven't been here for every message. By the way, they're online if you want to go and listen to those or, or share them with your friends, um, spiritoflifecarney.com. Um, but the series thought is this, as believers, it is a must to learn that our Christian walk and even our stand against the enemy has to flow from our seated position in Christ. It's a must. It all has to flow from there. I like what Watchman Nee says, and I quote him every week. Christianity doesn't begin with walking. It begins with sitting. Christianity doesn't begin with a big do. It begins with a big done. And uh, we, found, we found out in the first week, in the first couple of weeks, in the background of the book of Ephesians, but Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. He wrote it while he was in prison. And, uh, and in prison, he was writing to the, to, the, to the Ephesians, and he had spent a lot of time. In fact, he was a pastor, an apostolic pastor there um, in, in Ephesus for like three years and, um, and developed a congregation of, of Christian followers in the midst of a culture that was uh, idolatrous and totally against the things of God. And in that culture, it's some maybe 100,000 believers at that time that Paul was writing to. And it's kind of a cool deal uh, when, you, when you think about it, that in the midst of all that, that the church of Ephesus came out. And uh, so the first week we talked about, um, the, the title was In Him. And the, the main thought was everything we could ever need or want is in Him, Jesus. As believers, it's all, all ours for free period. Week two, it was called the master key. And the thought was this, the degree that you agree with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your life is the degree that the eyes of your spiritual understanding will be opened. Week three was, where am I? You like that? I like the way that rolls off. Where am I? The more I realize that I'm seated in heavenly places, the more I walk in the victory that's already mine. Last week was, or a couple weeks ago was this. Week four, what's so amazing about grace? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. That's what Robert Morris said, and we used his quote as our main thought for the day. And so today, our sermon title is God's Masterpiece. And we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. 
which says this. And this comes right, last, a couple weeks ago we were in uh, verse 8 and 9. It was, you know, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the, uh, the gift of God and all that. And it goes right into then verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you've, you've got, well, you're saved by grace, not by works. And then verse 10, but wait a minute, it's about works too. And you start to see this tension in the two worlds of grace and works. And the pendulum, how many know the pendulum gets stuck on one side or the other sometimes with us as believers? That we're either all about works or all about grace. And he's like, hey, um, which one is it? Yes, both of them. Definitely both of them. And we're going to discuss that today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's the main thought, if you're taking notes. The cross was more than just a rescue mission. It was God's way to give us value and purpose so that he could accomplish his kingdom plan. Man, when, I, when that came to me, it was like, yeah. I think a lot of times we treat the cross as only a rescue mission. It was just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It was just our fire insurance. When God, he has an idea. His great idea is you. His great idea, he's got this master plan, this aerial view where he's looking at everything and he's just, he sees this, the beginning and the end and he sees this whole thing playing out until the end of time and all of this stuff. And, he, and somehow in his wisdom, in, in the way he thinks about things, he thought, you know what? I want to use them. And so in order to use them, I've got to rescue them and give them value and purpose. And so some, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, some people in this room, you're going to look at me and say, Pastor Jonathan, you, but you don't understand. <laughs> I mean, do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know, I mean, do, do you know my story? If you only knew my story, you know, I mean, maybe I can believe in the, the rescue mission part of it, but the being used by him, and not just being used by him, like, like an intricate part of his master plan. And so may I just submit to you today that it was more than just a rescue mission, but it was also a plan to give you purpose and value so that he could accomplish those things that he wants to accomplish. Now, you can choose to agree with that or not. But I, I just hope that you agree with it because I need you. We need you. We need you to show up in the most powerful version of you that you can possibly be. Does that make sense? So, number one, I've got two points again today. I keep doing that. I keep, like, boiling it all down. I, I tried to have four points, actually. And I'm just like, ah. Eh. How about two? We'll do two. So two points today. And, uh, and that's good for you because uh, you, some of you probably have crockpots on or something at home or reservations at the, at the Red Lobster or something. Can I come? If you're going to Red Lobster, I'd like to come, by the way. <laughs> you buying? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. Hey, created with value is number one. We're created with value. Um, in fact, that verse says we are his workmanship. Um, in, in, that, in, in the NIV, it says we are his handiwork. In the, the New Living, it says we are his masterpiece. I love that. There's another, there's another place that calls it um, his work of art. I love looking at those different, and, that, and actually that's, that's really what it means. Um, the term, that term in that verse was used in the larger Greek world to speak of the creative accomplishments, um, such as 
composing a poem. So in other words, we're, you, you could say we are God's poem. I don't know if it's, all you girls are going to be like, oh, that's awesome. The boys are like, hey, I like masterpiece, right? <laughs> we're his poem. The term carries, it's like an exalted meaning beyond just like we were created. It, it was, it's a masterpiece. It was like, for example, both canoes and yachts are created. But how many know that one of those carries a little bit more masterpiece. They both have a, a similar purpose to float and to take people someplace. But, but there's value. There's a masterpiece when you look at the, at the, um, at the yacht. And, and, and really that actually qualifies as the kind of masterpiece of creativity that Paul was talking about when he wrote this verse, that we are God's workmanship, we are God's masterpiece. And so my prayer is that somehow by wisdom and revelation that you, your spirit would come alive and you would understand, wait a minute, maybe for the first time this morning that he thinks about you, that he dreams you up, that you're his masterpiece, that you're his work of art. Man, that gives me goosebumps when I think about, about that. He actually likes me. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Oh, wait a minute. That's a <laughs> oh, that's one of those that I maybe should have taken that back. I wish. Is that all right? That's good. I did that for you. So, God saves us not merely to save us from the wrath we rightly deserve, but also to make something beautiful of us. Um, I love that translation. I think it's the Jerusalem translation of the Bible that talks about it being a work of art. I, um, I was just thinking, I was thinking about this deal and, and, and how do I relate this? You know, when, like there's paintings, there's real expensive paintings. In fact, I was just looking on the news recently. There was like a, there was a couple paintings that went for, I mean, I don't even remember the dollar amount. It was a lot. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was like the, the most that any painting has ever been bought for was just recently within the last few weeks. And I'm just like, they're going to put it on, some, on somebody's wall. They're going to put it like behind like some, like a glass box or something like that. And it's just going to, it's going to sit there, you know. That's all right. But you know what gives that painting value? The artist. The artist gives that painting value. There, there's probably some place on it, there's either a signature or some sort of a mark that distinguishes. And there's been, I mean, you guys have watched the movies probably. I mean, there's like art thieves and there's like counterfeits and there's like people that try to like, like make it look almost exactly like. In fact, people will buy the counterfeit and then later they'll find out, wait a minute, I wasted my money. Why? Because it wasn't the real thing. It wasn't the, the one that was done by the original artist. It didn't have the signature. It didn't have that thing that sets it apart. I was looking on my refrigerator, <laughs> found this picture. It's got, it's got, four, it's got five eyes, actually, because there's one that, that one is on, right underneath there. There's like one eye on top of the other eye. Um, it's got lips right there. Lips are kind of in the right place. These eyes are a little bit off. Kind of looks like a Picasso. Maybe. I, I think it's like a Picasso. I mean, you could, anyone want to buy this? Like, the reason why it has value to me is because I know who the artist is. I know who made this, and so, and so it has a value. Like, you can't have this because it's valuable to me because of, because of who, who made this. There's this, um, there's this concept in Scripture that we find in the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, about the image of God. And, 
And the Bible says here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I like that part, every creeping thing that creeps. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it's this whole thing that, that what sets us apart from every other creation, every other thing that moves or doesn't move, every other, the thing that sets us apart is the image of God and his thumbprint, his signature on the masterpiece. And no matter how, what you think of yourself, uh, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's like, it's like the, that movie, the, the Count of Monte Cristo, and, and the, the guy's sitting there in prison with the old man, and, and he says, he says well, well, I don't believe in God. And the old man says, well, it doesn't matter because he believes in you. So I don't know if I care exactly what you believe, but the truth is the truth that, guess what, you're valuable. That be, why? How do I know this? Because you're an image bearer of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And the value doesn't save you, but it makes you worth saving. That'll preach. Because there's a whole theology out there that tries to say all roads go to heaven. And man, I, I have a tendency to just say it like it is. All, contrary to popular opinion, all roads don't go to heaven. There's only one way. And his name is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. But I'll tell you what, everybody has a chance to because everyone is an image bearer of the king of all kings. It gives you value. It makes you worth saving. I love that part. It's so good. Created in Christ Jesus. Uh, that verse goes on. It says, not, not only are we his workmanship, but we were created in Christ Jesus. That whole first chapter of Ephesians, right? Uh, the in him stuff. We were created in him. We were fashioned in him. He, he, he did all of this stuff. It was in Christ that, that we became this masterpiece. And I love that because it's this picture of being redeemed and restored. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was talking to the Corinthians there, and he says this in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's you. That's me. The moment of salvation, it was, it was, just, it was a supernatural transaction. The old went away. The new came. In Christ, you're a new creation. Paul described the believer's past. You see this in the first part of, of chapter 2, as we've talked to, um, the last couple of weeks. Uh, that he described the believer's past as one of death, drowning under the weight of fleshy passion, suffocating under the power of the ruler of the air. And all that changes in Christ. All that changes at that moment. Believers are greatly loved by God, given the gift of salvation, saved by grace, made alive with Christ, raised and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's huge. God's love is a transforming love. You can't help but be a new person when you come in contact with his love. It meets us right where we're at, and when we receive this love, it always takes us where we should be going. I love this thought, the love of God that saves my soul will also change my life. The love of God that saves your soul will also change your life. Um, a man named Spurgeon, 
he wrote this, and I, I just thought it was interesting insight. He said, he said, our new life is as truly created out of nothing as were the first heavens and the first earth. This ought to be particularly noticed, for there are some who think that the grace of God improves the old nature into the new. It does nothing of the sort. He didn't just, like, improve the old. The old went completely away. It's brand new. He says, Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. You're new. You're a new creation. I love that. There's value. There's purpose. Number two is created for purpose. You know that not only you were created with value, but you, there's, a, there's a big do on your life. You're created with purpose. Um, in other words, it's like, so what's the function for which God's masterpieces have been created? That's the big question. So, so what the, that you agree that you're a masterpiece? Now there has to be the, the question, so what's my function? What's the function of this masterpiece? I, I've got value, now what's my do? What Paul says here in Ephesians 2 Verse 10, that it's good works, that, that we were created for good works. And, so, so, and they've been laid out in advance by God. Christians from all kinds of backgrounds and traditions, they, they, they hiccup, maybe you do too, at, at this good works portion. And if you ever pause and you, you're like, the good works, you know it's in the scripture, but you're just like, good works. We, we, we fight against this concept of good works sometimes. And, and here's, the, here's the difference. This is the thing that you have to understand. We were saved for works, not by works. Okay? It, it, you, you can't just like take this verse out and just listen to verse 8 and 9. It was by grace we've been saved through faith, not by works. You've got it. It, it goes right together. It's all in one thought that, that you were saved by grace, but you were also saved for works. There's both, and you can't have one without the other. James, the apostle James, Jesus' brother, he said, he said that faith without works is dead. And, and it's, this, it's this concept of, um, I'm getting ahead, but it's all right, it's this concept of fruit. That How hard does a fruit have to try to grow? <laughs> right? No, like it just grows. It's just connected. The tree's connected to the source, to the stream, and, 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 and it just naturally grows. And so I'll guarantee you, whatever you're connected to, that there you're going to start to see what fruit's going to show up in your life. And for the Christian believer, the, the works aren't something that we attain to, that we work towards. The works are something that naturally are a byproduct of being in love with Jesus and, and, and an intimate connection. It's a byproduct of being in him, that good works just Flow. You want to know something about good works? They're good. Good works are good. It's actually okay to do good works. Because why? Well, they're good. It's good to do good works. That's a, that's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just too simple for you. Can we just like take it all out? And just be, oh, okay, wait a minute. It's okay to do good works. In fact, it's, it's a, it's, if you're not doing good works, I'm like, there's a, the, the fruit's not there. It should be there. It's a, it's a fruit of being connected to the vine. Man, I love that. Now I just got to see where I'm at. I just, hmm. Jesus, um, 
Jesus was speaking. We, we, so there's, there's, when we talk about good works, we're, we, there's a general good works, and then there's a specific good works. Um, Jesus spoke of the fields being ready for the harvest and needing reapers in Matthew 9. That's a general good works. The, the harvest is ready. Like all of us have an assignment in our life to um, go into our workplace and our neighborhoods and our families and our communities and, and know that, hey, there are people that are ready to, uh, to come to know to the saving knowledge of Jesus. How many know that's a good work? That's a really good work. There are other things. Uh, you know, if you're just asking me, Pastor Jonathan, what are some of the, the good works that we're supposed to Like tasks such as like caring for the, the widows and orphans. How many know that's a good work? That, that's, that was something that we're supposed to do. Um, and that was in James chapter 1. Bearing each other's burdens. You know that, that the Bible tells us to bear each other's burdens? You know, when, when someone has too much to carry, I'm like, hey, I can carry some of that for you. That's a good work. That's one of those natural things that it shouldn't be like, like ah, man. It should be just like, oh, this is what we do as the body of Christ. We bear each other's burdens. Um, what, what about in Luke 6 when he says, love your enemies? That's a, that's a good work. That takes work. That's a good work. And it's one of those things that as we're more and more connected in the Spirit and to Christ, that that work just naturally flows. There's a big do, but apart from God, it's meaningless. John 15 has this principle where Jesus is talking to his best friends there right at the end of his life. And he's talking about the vine. He's talking about intimacy and, and abiding in him, which is, you know, he, he could have, he this is really like his last dying like, message. If he was like on his deathbed and, and all of his best friends were gathered around the bed and he's like, you know, like the Godfather or something, you know, it's, it's like this is the last thing I want to share with you. And instead of like how to preach the best sermon or how to raise the dead or turn water to wine, that would have been a good one, right? And it, he's like, no, like, Abide in me. If you haven't heard anything else this whole three and a half years that you've been with me, learn intimacy, learn abiding with me. And this is what he said. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, and I'm, a, I'm a little analytical. I'm not like, like as bad as some people, but I'm a little. I mean, I at least like look at the verse and I'm like, nothing? Like Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Like, I know what you're trying to say here, but apart from you, nothing? We can do no, no thing? I'm like, I can think of a couple things I can do apart from you. You're like, you want to bet? Right? Maybe that's just how I, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm the only, like, sacrilegious, you know, heretical person. But the, the, what, you want to know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying this. He's like, apart from me, the things that you do have no eternal value. Apart from me, the things that, that you desire, to, even your, your gifts, and the, your talents and your passions and your desires, apart from him, really you can do nothing because it's all going to burn up. The, it, apart from him, there's no eternal value. That's the, huge, that's the principle that Jesus was saying. Abide in me. Intimacy in him. Because if you're not in him, all these things that you're doing, they're, they're all for naught. There's no eternal value. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, it says, well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's this whole other thing of, of the unseen. I'm, I'm living a life for the eternal stuff, the eternal rewards, um, which God prepared. The, the, this part of, uh, of Ephesians 2.10, I like it. He kind of just, just throws it right in the midst of the verse and and. Every word is important in the Bible, by the way. 
I mean, it's always, there's always an intentional reason why he says. So in Ephesians 2.10, he says this. He says, um, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That these, these works that God um, is creating us for, he actually thought about them before you were ever a twinkle in your mother's eye. Before you were even a thought. In fact, I like the place in, in Ephesians 1 where he says, before the creation of the world, he, he thought about you. Like, like, so these works, he didn't just like create you and, and they're like, oh, yeah, you, know, uh, you could do this. You know, what should I do, God? Oh, let me just, you know, uh, how about this? Like it was, he actually, not only did he create you with value, he thought about you. He sat down and intentionally thought, you know what? Like before they, you were even born, before you were even thought of generations and generations and generations ago, millennium, millennial, millennials, 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 a long time ago, he said, I think that they should do this. And he actually, the Bible says here in verse 10 that he created these works beforehand. I, I like the verse, like, and at the end of it, he says, in advance. That he created these works in advance before you were ever born. And it tells me that there's not only value, but there's purpose. Works are a part of the fruit and the evidence of our relationship with God or our being in Christ. It's huge. Hmm. Jeremiah put it just a, another way. He said, he said this in, in chapter 1, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God speaking through Jeremiah. He says, Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I love that. Before you were even born, I set you apart. Before I ever, you were even born, I knew you were going to be a prophet to the nations. You know, what he prepared in advance doesn't always look a whole lot different than our seemingly natural talents, desires, and passions. This is interesting. I, I look, have you ever like, looked at somebody like in the news or in Hollywood or, or maybe there's like some influential person in the city or someone, and you're just like, man, if they, if they were saved... They would be such a, you know, right? Just, I mean, the, it would be incredible if that person knew, knew the Lord or whatever. I, I look at this. I look at even some of you and your before Christ days and your after Christ days. And, and this is something that I, that I see is that there's, there's God-given talents and passions that before Christ, there wasn't any eternal value. But after Christ, he redeems them. And it's like he, it's like these dreams, these talents, these passions, these giftings, like go through the fire and they come out on this side and it's like, oh, now they look a little bit more. Now, oh, now they're a little bit less selfish or oh, now they've got a little bit more of, a, of an eternal purpose. Now they're not all about you. You know, I, I love the fact that uh, guess what? It is about you. It's just not all about you. You know, the pendulum can swing, and we could be like, well, it is, well it's, not all, it's not about me, and, you know, right? You know, it, it's like, it's like the, you know, the person that's really trying hard to make sure that everyone knows it's not all about them, and they're like, you know, they, they, they sing on stage or something, and someone's like, hey, that was a great job. Oh, oh, it wasn't me. It was God, right? Right? You're like, well, it wasn't that good, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's about you. It's just not all about you. I remember for me, uh, in my life, it was, um, uh, I've told some of you before, I had, I had 
a desire to be in the movies and on television and do you know acting. In fact, I, I was going to go to Oral Roberts University, and uh, my idea was, hey, here's an ORU grad. He, he like he woke up right there when I said that. I'm like, hey, cool, yeah, hey, you're at Spirit of Life Church, man. <laughs> and uh, I remember, so I remember, OR, I was going to go to ORU. I had it all planned out. I had the roommate. I had the class schedule. I had all the, the, the major declared and all that, and it was going to be a um, drama, television, film performance was what my major was going to be. And yes, I, I had those desires. I even, you know, had those giftings, and not to be, uh, you know, not to be arrogant or anything, but I actually won awards in uh, um, in my class of three. But no, I'm just kidding. Just joking. <laughs> there was a little bit more than that. <laughs> but I won awards in drama and theater, and um, I took uh, I took classes in college and communication and all this stuff because I I want I just you know. But you know, the thing was is that. Um, there may have been something redeemable in that, but I knew me. I think God knew me better than I knew me. That that uh, I probably wasn't. I probably had a little bit more selfish desires in there. There's this. There was this need, and, and and somewhere in there, it's it's still probably there. But there was this need for to go big or go home, right? There was this need to to be known, to have fame, and 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 the Lord's like, okay, that's all right. But um, I remember Him telling me one time when I was living in Spokane, where He's like, um, Jonathan, how about the one person? How how about how about the the, the names and the faces? And uh, and He's taking me through a process over the, I don't know probably ten or fifteen years of of taking my giftings and my dreams and my passions and those things and really like taking them through that fire to where like he still uses me. How many know that probably some drama and theater helps a little bit in preaching? <laughs> I mean, I know like people at least stay awake. It might not be that good, but at least they're awake, right? You know, and communication, all that. And, and man, it's good. That, I mean, so I just want, you want to know, well, what's my purpose? And can I give you just a just a maybe a non spiritual way of, of looking at it? Like, what do you like to do? What are you passionate about? What what's your natural giftings? What are, and you start to it's not the only thing, but it's a starting place because I guarantee you the Lord created you with purpose, and some of those natural giftings and talents and desires and passions are were put there by Him, and and it's just that before you're saved or before you've you've uh, laid them down, they um, they just kind of stink a little bit. Just being honest. But you let them go through that process with the Lord. You lay them down and, and you watch. And it looks a little bit different. But, but it's not just totally different. It's a big deal. And that's what I found in my life anyways. There's, um, there were some people in the Bible that you start to see some of the natural things. And then the Lord used them. Like Esther, God used her natural beauty. How many know that she like, didn't supernaturally become beautiful when she went into the, the palace? I mean, they put some makeup on that, right? But uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing there was probably something there beforehand, right? You know, and so there's things where God will take the the natural thing, and He's like, I can use that. I can use that. What about King David before he was king? You remember when he was just a shepherd boy, and he's he's out in the fields, and and he's using his slingshot, and he's killing lions and tigers and bears. And, uh, and doing all those types of things. And, and then there was the moment, you guys remember, some of you remember Goliath, and, and, and uh, David went down to the brook and got five smooth stones, and he got a slingshot, and he, he went. I, I, I think that David could have released those stones blindfolded and behind his back, and they would hit the target. <laughs> 
Because it was, it, it, he dedicated his gift to the Lord. It was like the, the, thing, that, the thing that he had in his hand, he, he gave to the Lord, and the Lord's like, I, I can use that. What, what, about, um, what about Moses? You remember Moses in, in the book of Exodus, and, and he, was, he was on the backside of a mountain, and a burning bush, and he comes out with his stick. I think he's about 80 years old by then. There's hope, 80-year-olds, right? You know, it's not over yet. He comes out with his stick, and he's sitting there by a burning bush that's not burning up, and a voice comes out, and he's just like, I haven't smoked anything. I don't know what's going on. But he's, he's sitting there, and he, and he realizes that it's, that it's God, and he has this conversation going on with God. And there was this moment that God asked him to put his stick down. I love hearing one preacher talk about this. And it's like it, Moses put this, this stick down and um, that thing that he leaned on, that thing that he walked with, that thing that he was comfortable with, and he realized that when he put that snake down, it became a serpent. It was that, that gift that he had, that thing that, that was natural, the thing that, that was close to him, that he used every day. It, he put it down and it became a, ser- a serpent. And it was as if the Lord was saying, that thing that you lean on has the potential to bite you and kill you. But you know that same thing that he leaned on, what did it also do? It turned water into blood. It parted the Red Sea. And there's this thing where God's looking at some of us in here and he's like, hey, would you just lay it down? That thing that you've been leaning on, that, that gifting that you have, that passion that you have. And I think some of us are just like, but if I lay it down, he might not get it back the same way. Or if I lay it down, what if I don't get it back? And, and, and there's, this, there's this trust thing where he's like, how much do you trust me? And you've got this staff, you've got this thing that you've been leaning on, the thing that's been comfortable, the thing that, that you've been walking with. And he just wants you to lay it down. Once you lay it down, and I guarantee you, when you lay it down, that he's going to give you back something better that maybe it'll part the Red Sea in your life. Maybe it will perform miracles that you've never seen. Maybe you start to see that your gifting, that your dream, that your passion, when it's redeemed, when, when it walks through the fire, that actually there's something that has eternal value. Isn't that a big deal? What do you need to lay down so that God can redeem it for eternal value and eternal purpose? I want to end with a story just to take this maybe one quick step further. And um, so let me just read it. There's a guy named Carl Howey, and he tells about an incident that took place in a New York subway. It was winter and especially cold and a bitter night. Very few people were on the subway at that hour. Each station, at each station, the train would screech to a halt open its doors, allowing a few people to come and go. At one station, a particular woman got on. Her clothes were ragged and dirty. She was either extremely tired or extremely drunk. I think I met her one time in Los Angeles, actually. Her clothes were ragged and dirty. As the train lurched forward, she stumbled and fell into a seat and went fast asleep. Through the screeching and swaying of the train, she slept, her hands nestled inside two tattered, worn-out gloves. It was hard to see how these gloves, full of holes, would help at all. How could she go anywhere in that bitter cold with freezing, without freezing her hands? Few people in the train could take their eyes off this homeless person, asleep on the subway, her gloved hands without gloves. Then a strange thing happened. A young Puerto Rican boy got up 
to get off the train and as it slowed to a stop. He could have gone out the exit closest to him, but he went by the sleeping woman instead. He paused by her for a few moments, removed his gloves, and laid them in her lap, and he got off the train. It's easy to judge everyone. There are enough faults to go around. Choosing to see everyone as a child of God created in his image will help me look past the homeless, age, beauty, intelligence, opinions, the differences between myself and others. Seeing, cho- the children of, seeing children of God, I can be more compassionate, more responsive to the needs and less responsive to my judgmental prejudices. Here's the thing. Man, I, I want us in this room to see us the way God sees us. I really do. I want you to see yourself with value as a masterpiece, God's masterpiece. I really want you to see that. I want you to see that not only do you have value, but you have purpose. But could we maybe take it one step further? What would happen if we saw everybody that way? What would happen in this room if we saw the person sitting next or across the room as a masterpiece? Or we walked out of this place and we were in Walmart or we were at the restaurant that we're going to afterwards or wherever and and the person serving us or the person that we walked, what if they were a masterpiece? Because actually they are. That's all I have. Pastor Kelly, would you come? And I'm just going to close in a time of worship and um, response and